Hey, this is Kate. Welcome to Two Pastors Take a Walk and Make Podcasts. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we're preaching. And we didn't take a walk. We took a run. We took a run. Took a run. And it wasn't so bad. Was exciting. It was not bad. It was not bad. Um, so what's astonishing you this What's astonishing me? New oh. year. <laughs> Listen, um, I had a sense uh, before January 1 that December 22 would be... Um, Filled with challenges. And so my mindset going in was, you know, just get ready. It's going to be an adventure. I'm sorry. December 22? No. In December 2021, I had a sense that 2022 okay. would be adventurous. Sure. Right? So I just had that in mind. And sure enough, on Saturday night before worship, before Sunday worship, I get a text message from our musician and worship leader, uh, the talented and faithful, the wonderful Cedric. And uh, he let me know that uh, he'd been with family for Christmas and mm -hmm. someone had COVID and he was being tested and was waiting results. And um, we ultimately concluded that he needed to stay home. But uh, we would be without a musician because we don't have, you know, a large staff uh, when it comes to um, music and worship. And on top of that, let's see, three-fourths, <laughs> three-quarters of our singers also out because of either COVID or a death in the family. And so... Saturday night, I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to do? And some even suggested that maybe we should just not gather for worship on Sunday. And I thought, oh, no, we're going to do this. So I scrapped the plan and came up with a new plan, um, went through the hymn book, found some songs that I thought we could sing a cappella. And listen, I am not a singer. But you were on Sunday. <laughs> but I was on <laughs> Sunday. And normally when we do congregational singing, I turn my mic off. Not on Sunday. <laughs> Not on Sunday. Listen, <laughs> and I am aware, listen, I know that God created music and God created all of the notes and I sang all of the <laughs> notes. I, I sang all of the notes on Sunday into the microphone that was turned up louder than usual because I wanted to make a yeah. clear statement yep. that this doesn't have to be perfect to be pleasing to God. It doesn't yeah. have to be every I dotted, every T crossed. It doesn't have to be good according to our standards to be pleasing to God. Huh. And I was on my way to worship on Sunday morning, and I got a sense that the Holy Spirit was saying, listen, worship is about mm -hmm. seeking me. It's about celebrating me. It's about savoring my presence and surrendering to my presence. And I thought, well, we can do that. Mm-hmm. And so I just leaned into being the song leader mm -hmm. uh, on Sunday, and there was an amazing grace mm -hmm. to do that. Now, don't anyone log on to our YouTube channel. Oh, we're to watch. all no, logging on to your YouTube channel. Because that part will not be we in the video. You will get on. the sermon, but not the singing. But there was a grace. And, you know, we started worship normally. Our, our, our model, our template for worship is this idea of being 
uh, in the outer courts of the temple, and we're making a journey into the inner courts and into the holy place and then into the holy of holies. We enter his gates with thanksgiving mm-hmm. and his courts with praise, and so we usually start out with some high-energy praise music and work our way into intimacy mm-hmm. where it's more um, slower, um, almost ballad-like mm-hmm. songs. Um, and so we, we started Sunday, instead of singing, with a meditation. Everyone mm-hmm. close your eyes. Oh, that's let's just, nice. Let's think back on 2021. Yeah. Think about all that God has done, how God brought you through hardships. We had some people who had COVID and recovered. Yeah. Uh, think about how God made a way when there didn't seem to be a way, how God opened doors, how God kept us and provided for us. And um, I was doing this meditation and everyone had their eyes closed except for me. And I, I noticed smiles mm-hmm. and head nods. I'm like, oh, that's this, really cool. This is happening. <laughs> this, this is happening. And we finished. And I said, what we just did was fuel up for worship. Mm-hmm. Thanksgiving fuels worship. Uh, yeah. And yeah. holy cow. Like, that was not part of the worship plan. God just gave that to yeah. me. And there's um we had a we had a guest on Sunday that we know who is a friend of our congregation, who is a member of a Pentecostal mm-hmm. church. And you know, as as preachers, we we We're a mess. We, we try not to impress people, but, and, but we want people to like us. And so I was I was I was like, human. Uh, uh, Were you human uh, on uh, Sunday? Yeah, I was, I was being yeah. human. And I was like, oh, I wonder what, you know, this Pentecostal person thinks. And she was like, oh, God was here today. God, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, thank mm-hmm. you, God. Mm-hmm. So it was just an astonishing, in, in, in the midst of something we did not want, that is our musician right. being out, this astonishing, beautiful blessing. You know, I mean, I love that because a, it's a great idea that I want to steal. I mean, and I think our our friend Lisa Coons talks teaches a lot about the examine and that as a spiritual practice, and like the first step of that is to like pause and turn your heart towards God, and I think that's what you helped people. I, I mean, because that's a really beautiful poetic phrase and, and I definitely what we do is just rely on the music sure yeah. and and the music works but even mm-hmm. when we don't help people understand why we're making music together yes. then it's not that it doesn't accomplish its purpose but it is hard and because what I and I'm working on my interrupting but what I almost missed in your story because I was just excited about I mean I first of all Every Sunday, I'm just so grateful at the wisdom and courage of the leaders of the Grove who, you know, years ago followed God in this wilderness of the Transformation Project when we when we changed our music culture. And it was so unheard of and, you know, we didn't have any desire to change the music culture and we did not have any ability like expertise or ability and a lot of people who were current 
then part of the music culture at the time said, no, we're out. We don't want to do this. And and we've talked before about why we did it, but basically about trying to learn to sing new songs so that people who were not historically Presbyterian or historically Christian could come in and join in, right? That you knew the words were normal English words that we use all the time and that the songs, you know, people have all this, um, I think, really ugly pride towards contemporary music. And a lot of what they say is like, it's so repetitive and it's so simplistic and it's the same thing over and over again. And I'm like, yeah. And that's the point. Yeah. It's so that someone can walk in not knowing a song and join into the song because this is not supposed to be a test of belonging. It is supposed to be a space where you you can join in without a college degree in music. You don't ha- you don't even have to read music. Yeah. You don't. Let everything that has breath. Right? I mean, you know what else is repetitive? The Psalms. Mm. I mean, I just like there's just this I anyway, this spirit of perverted excellence that says it's no good if everyone can do it. And the reality is I am not saying that it is not appropriate to sing an aria in worship. It is. And I'm not saying it's not appropriate to have a musical offering that a small group of people offer up to God on behalf of the whole congregation. It is. But worship is something that the whole church the whole community does together. We don't hire people to worship for us. And it's not a performance. And it's not a concert. Yes. And so, we, like, for me, what I love about your story is, I mean, Cedric is great and a gift from God. He's and he's wonderful. And it's good when you have gifted people who lead in their giftedness. But when we talk at the Grove all along about what we are aiming for in our worship leadership team, the definition of faithfulness slash success for us is not how good is it it is how did you make it possible for the congregation to join in did you lead them into worship don't stand up in front of them in worship lead them into worship did you put a song in their heart so the standard of success for me is not how did it sound but were people singing like, did you make it so that people could join in the song? Was this an experience with God that you had that we watched? Or did you make it so that we could have this experience and carry it out of that space with us? Because what I, like, my dominant image is I want people to have songs in their hearts so that at times of extreme joy, but more honestly, times of extreme fear and pain and suffering, there is a song in their heart that they can sing. Um, that will connect them to all the saints, right? That, you know, that we've just laid these tracks down in their hearts. And so like, if it, if it sounds great and what it communicates to people is I can worship and you can't, or God likes my song better than your song, then that is a huge pound fail. And so I think for you to stand up in front of the people and be like, yeah, I don't have the best voice in the world. And I'm not saying you don't because I've never really heard you sing in all these years. But but to say, but that's not the point. Like as the culture sees it, that's the point. But what I know is the way that my song sounds to you does not matter. The way that my song, the posture of my heart towards God is what either honors and glorifies God or not. And so, I mean, I want things to be good. I want, I don't, And the trick is when you say to people, it's not about how it sounds, some people hear that as like, oh, it doesn't matter. No, 
it matters. We bring the best that we can, not because we have to, but because we want to. And so if you are going to say like, well, if I were going into audition for this play, I would practice and rehearse and do my very best, but I'm just going to worship. And so I'll bring any old junk. Like I won't, you know, prepare. No, we bring our best because we think God is worthy of our best, but we are not like burdened or crushed by this arbitrary false standard of the world that our best isn't good enough. And when the world says, well, God's not interested in your best or God doesn't want anything from you until you improve or until you get better than them, like that's just a lie. So, I mean, I bet that, and this is like no dishonor to Cedric because I know that God is, I mean, God's in every room, but I know that there's an awareness of God's presence in the room when Cedric is leading because of his talent and gifts and because of his posture of his heart when he does. But I think that I would expect that there was just a different and beautiful spirit in the room because he wasn't there. And because people got to experience, like look at our pastor who is not limited in his ability to worship by anything. And like people, even his bad voice, right? And like people could watch Cedric and be like, that's good for him. But people can watch you and be like, Oh, if this fool but, but can I mean, like, sing, but let's right, be, no. but all joking aside, but, let's yes. not call it foolishness. Like, let's call it what it is, which is it, well, it is beautiful. a bit. It's it's foolishness for Christ, right? It's it yeah. it is it is a willingness to look foolish in the eyes of the world for to, the sake of Christ to be righteous, yes. right? And I think, like, I mean, I'm fine with calling it foolishness for Christ, but not for making a joke about it, because sure. I think the reality is we need we need to in in this context we need to be able to say like out there they might mock that but we reverence it right and for us that day was a real gift because it exposed something and affirmed something Mm -hmm. it exposed that deep down we still have too much of a sense that worship is dependent upon music and talented musicians on the experts on the experts yes when cedric said that he would not be there because of covid i could feel the panic the beginning of a panic in people's like oh can't can we even worship now absolutely and by the end of that worship experience what was affirmed was that oh we our worshipers. Right. Like our friend Octavia um, at the Grove, who's our youth director, and I call her our youth pastor and she gets real mad, but she is. She pastors the youth in our congregation. And, um, but she talks about like when she, I mean, the Holy Spirit moved her down from New Jersey to Charlotte and she was living right next door to the church and brought her daughter Rain to some of our, um, like our after school program. And so was kind of involved in the serving and in the ministry, but was going like looking for a congregation. And I mean, and she'll tell the story, like she was looking anywhere but the Grove because at that time, I mean, the Grove was not diverse at all. And she had come, you know, once the kids did a play or something. She was like, oh, no, these are like, this is not it. And because worship was so important to her. And she will tell the story that um, the Holy Spirit, you know, after a while of like driving two hours to South Carolina and just all kinds of stuff, the Holy Spirit really convicted her and said, like, you, you say you're a worshiper. If you are, you can worship me anywhere. 
And you don't need to go find this Brigadoon, Shangri-La, perfect place that's worthy of... If you are a worshiper, then you can worship anywhere under any circumstances. And honestly, if you can't worship anywhere under any circumstances, then you can't worship. And I don't expect someone who's just beginning on their faith journey like, right, we need to help, we need to create a context where they can live. But the whole point is to learn that when you turn your heart to God, you are, you are in the heavenly courts. Wherever you are, no matter what's going mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. you are able to worship and because you're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses and because we know the end of the story and because we are not limited by where we are in space and time, right? And so that's what we're trying to help people know is that there is this other realm that we walk in here and now. Yes. And and so it's great to be as thoughtful and creative and free and bold as we can be to create worship together because it forms us and shapes us and it's just a good thing. But when we start thinking that we need X, Y, or Z, or it has to be like A, B, or C, we've turned worship into an idol and it's, it, you know, so I, I mean, I just yeah. think that's beautiful and just so wise on your part as a pastor to be like, oh no, like not, like not only can we, we must worship this Sunday yeah. because we, there is a revelation that can come in this circumstance that if things had worked out the way we wanted, we would have missed. And listen, first song, first song out of the gate was, um, this is the day, this is the day the Lord has made. Mm-hmm. And um, yours truly, I grabbed a tambourine. And, I uh, <laughs> right? The question <laughs> is, does your, because you were just telling me before we started recording about what your dad said about if he, they moved to Charlotte, they were going to Albert Moses' church because he loves a singing he preacher. Loves to sing, yes. <laughs> so do, do your parents know that you were a singing preacher? Yes, on but my parents would not enjoy my singing at all. I, well, that's, that's not true because your parents love your heart for the Lord. So, but I, I understand what you're saying. Um, well, that that's a that's a really cool story, and I love the idea of having a moment like that in worship, especially in the beginning of worship, and just the way like I've never heard that idea, but then it just tracks with scripture about the worship service itself being like a cathedral in time, and you move in through. That's so yeah. Cool. That that's been our model for the past year and a half. And, and that's why we let go of a printed order of service. So I, our worship team says, okay, we know that worship is about a movement. We're, we're, mm-hmm. we're going somewhere, and we're leading the people somewhere. So our mentality has to be as worship leaders. Right. Okay, we're in the outer courts getting closer and closer to God. We're, the, the aim is intimacy. The aim is adoration. Um, and we're, we're learning how to do that how to do that yeah. Yeah. yeah and i and and i think learning how to do it with authenticity so not being embarrassed or ashamed about the fact that this is where we are in the process and refusing to pretend or perform right and yeah, so and sometimes you know because there's no printed order of service we'll get to a place where we we're looking at each other going okay what are we doing next mm-hmm. but there's there is a flow and yeah. um you know, Sunday, I was the only person on the platform, which is unusual. And man, that's a heavy burden. <laughs> it, well, and yeah, and you know, who wants to hear my voice for an hour and a half? 
I don't mean that. I just well, mean it's hard to be the only person who is. And to connect all the dots. Correct. In- instead of saying, okay, now let's do this. Now let's do this. Okay, how do we create a flow that says um, it, it smoothly transitions, not only logically, but in a heart sense, from one element of worship to another? Yeah. And um, I, there's just the grace to do that. And uh, it was pretty incredible. But, well, and uh, I think the reality is, and this is what I think a lot of our colleagues and friends in our on our branch of the body of Christ miss out, that, I mean, there's this really deep, rich history of worship. I mean, obviously, our spiritual ancestors have been doing this long time. literally for generations. And so we would be fools to refuse to accept the blessings of those who have gone before us, right? And so... I get that it makes sense to look back and see how it has been done before and to, you know, be blessed by that. But I think the problem is, A, you only look back, you know, into one sliver. So that's usually, you, you say like, well, let me look back at how the people who really looked like me or are from my tradition did it. And then you you act as, you you believe, you function as if that, those are the like the boundaries and the limits and nothing can be done in any other way. And so that means you are, you're closing yourself off from that kind of really uncomfortable, but generative, beautiful vulnerability of God, are you calling us to do a new thing? And I'm not just saying like, okay, what I'm doing quote works or is right because it's in line with what has come before. But I'm saying I'm not even saying that what has come before was wrong. It was right in its time and in its place. But what are you doing here and now? Well, do you remember that old preacher story about um, the woman who was cooking a turkey and um, every year she cut the legs off before she cook it, cooked it, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. And uh, did that year after year after year. And finally someone asked her, why do you cut the legs off and throw them away? And she's because cause that's the way my mother did it. And so they asked her, like, you know, why, why did you do it that way? And she said, well, because my pot was too small. Right. So it started out for one reason and continued for a different reason. Right. And so our ancestors in worship, in worship, worshiped for, a, they had a particular logic. And so we can carry on the same forms and format, mm-hmm. but for a different reason. We, we don't get right. the why behind the what. Right. And yeah, I mean, I, I think it's so... Which int- is why we have that template, right? It's so right. if we are entering his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise, when you get close to God, when you get to the holy place, well, the glory of God ought to give you a sense of God's holiness and your sinfulness, so then we confess our sin. Well, when Isaiah confessed his sin, when he had a vision in the temple in Isaiah 6, he cried, woe is me. Um, He heard a word of forgiveness. So then there's an assurance of pardon. And then um, Isaiah gave himself to the work that God was calling him to do. So we we give an offering Mm -hmm. um, and and the word follows. But there, there there is a theological, biblical logic and flow to worship that we try to keep in mind instead of we do this because this is why we do the it. elements right yeah. and I, I think that's the thing is that there 
part of it is we're not trying to keep anything behind the curtain. Like we're not trying to say, you don't need to know because I know. We're trying to say everything that is, is for everyone. And so you, if you have a question about why are we doing it in this way, that's a good question. And you, you have a, it's a holy and good expectation for someone to have an answer. Even if that answer is, I don't know, it's okay if the answer is, I don't know, as long as that leads us into a place of then really seeking and saying like, huh, well, let's, let's inquire of the Lord. Let's discern, like, why did this make sense in this way before? And what does it make sense in this season and what, but I mean, I think you can't look at the church in general And I mean, again, let's just talk about the PCUSA in particular and not say there is a need to make our worship life-giving, transformative, and accessible to others, right? There is a need. Yes. And what was also revealed to me personally on Sunday is just how, just how much I still... hold back uh, how 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 mechanical I can still be yeah. and, I, and 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 the folks the good folks at Dorada Church experience me as energetic and free but what was revealed to me is like no I still I can come up higher right. um, well yeah. and I I think that's like there's such a temptation to protect yourself from vulnerability in worship by kind of taking taking the role of the critic um, and just just sort of be kind of one step removed from being a part of it to being the person who is evaluating it and even the person. And that's really important that we as, I mean, I don't know, my understanding is. I was giving the benediction on Sunday. Right. And and we were like, it's just, it's a fairly large room. But the acoustics are fantastic. So yeah. if anyone says anything, you can hear it. Right. So I'm about to give the benediction. Everyone's standing. I have my hands raised. And um, I thank the congregation for the way they yeah. engaged worship. And one of our beloved members, an elder, her name is Judy, um, and uh, she said, Man, I enjoyed this today. Yeah. Which was beautiful. And the Holy Spirit led me to say, Judy, that's great. I thank you for saying that. And and I hope that we all ask, did God enjoy it today? Mm-hmm. Because if we sincerely ask that question, God, did you enjoy my our worship? I think we will find that there will be a sense from the spirit that yes. Yeah. Well, and I think like having, when I was growing up, you know, I was a music major, which is why people in my church would say they can hear me every week when I don't have a microphone. Sorry. (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I did a lot of theater and a lot of that stuff. And so I, I would end up in these master classes that I really was not temperamentally suited for. Right. Yes. And like what, like one of the things they would talk about, which I just like, I'm just more pragmatic. I mean, especially then, um, like we, we had this like whole month long. Wait, and you used to sing opera, right? Correct. Yeah. And I did a lot of theater really in, really in high school. Yeah. And I, 
I mean, not good, but serious. <laughs> but, um, and I did a, a lot of theater growing up as a kid too. So I was in this like, whatever theater company in Louisville. And so we had to do like classes there too. And we had to do all these like, um, cause you know, people teach drama, like you can go mm-hmm. to acting classes and you, and so we had to do all these, this, all these things on theory. Right. And it just really annoyed me cause I just, I just, I'm just, a very, I mean, I think youth, like kids in general are pretty practical, like pretty pragmatic, like at a certain age, you're just kind of like, I don't really want to think about why we do this. I just want to do it. Right. right. And right. so as a, especially as a kid, I think I'm still, am like that to some extent, but especially as a kid, I really was. And like, we'd have like we twice, like once in college and once for like a whole year before college, like in eighth grade, we had these, like, I think it was Twyla Tharp warp. I don't know. Some big wig acting person and they were like movement classes and we had to like cover our face like everyone had to do this you had to like cover your face in Vaseline and then they did like plaster of Paris like so you'd have like a mask of your face Hmm. and whatever it dries and then for like the the next series when you're working on this you have to like do all these exercises but you have this mask on which is just like this plain white mask which obviously like the eyes are cut out but there's no expression and it's like I think now looking back and they probably were I'm sure they said this at the time and I didn't pay attention but my understanding now looking back is they were trying to get people to see like you can like superficially show like I'm gonna smile and that shows you I'm happy and I'm gonna put my mouth down and that shows you that I'm sad and they were I think they were trying to get people to understand that like can you go deeper hmm. than these like really broad hmm. superficial cues that maybe don't have anything to do with what's actually true wow. in how you're feeling. Right. Wow. At the time I was like, but I mean, I just remember it as a lot of time as like we'd sit there and they would talk at us and then they would be like, walk across the stage <laughs> and you'd have to like walk across the stage. And then they'd have all these long conversations about like, how you walked across the stage and how did he walk across the stage? And like, what did you tell from like the slope of his shoulders or the his gait or I don't know. And at the time I was just like, Oh my gosh, this is the most boring thing in the world. But the point is we talk a lot about intention. Like what is your intention? Yeah, and I was good. just like, Bruh. like who cares? Right? Like my intention is to get over this. Yeah, but and I, can I just see the value. Right. I mean, now I can. And at the time, it just seemed like so airy fairy. Like, it doesn't matter what your intention is. It matters what you do. Right. And but now I think it really makes sense to me, like all that kind of like energy intention, like woo woo talk is really what I what I think we need to understand about worship is you can execute and you can appear. Mm. But, you know, God is a God who sees what mm. is true and are in most parts. And so, we, you mm. know, we That's have good. to decide every every time we approach, like, God knows why we're here, but do we know why we're here? And can we just be honest about the fact that, like, no, I need to, remi- like, orient myself that the reason that I am in worship ultimately is not to be entertained. It's not to learn something. It's not to see my friends. Earn it's not points to, with God. It's not to participate in a mission. It's not to build this institution. Like ultimately, yeah. I am in worship to to remind myself and reorient myself to who God is and who I am in God, and and to enjoy my relationship with God in the context of this community, which is how God created me to do it. And I don't always understand it. I don't always like it. I don't always want to. But like, if I don't. 
like having that heart moment where you pause and say like, let me just be honest with myself about why am I here? And let me like at least try to turn my heart to the Lord and maybe be aware of like, okay, if I'm here for you, God, then the fact that I think her short skirt is too short, that's not a her problem. That's a me problem. Mm. And the fact that I don't like the song, that it doesn't please me. I mean, that's not a you problem, God. That's a me problem. Like, like, and let me listen to the words of the song. And like, is there something untrue in this song? Is that, and I, I just think like, that's what is kind of missing even in all of the conversations about worship and, you know, you and I have friends who, who have hard calls in congregations full of professional Presbyterians Mm. and who get told like, (laughs) you didn't say this phrase after you finished reading the scripture lesson. So worship was wrong. Correct. Right. Like in all seriousness, like, and, and I just am like, Oh, thank you Lord for delivering me from that. (laughs) And just to say, like, to have an orientation that you would walk and be like, I am such an expert in God that I would go to someone else and say, your worship was wrong because you didn't say this phrase that I teach must be said. Just to be like, that's bananas. But it is so easy for the enemy of our souls to turn worship into a farce and like a blind alley and all the while we can clearly point out what those people in the mega church over there are doing and like isn't it ridiculous and aren't they fools and aren't they hypocrites but not see that our fear and our anxiety and our desire to protect ourselves from god instead of to make ourselves vulnerable to god and we're doing the same thing just a different way do you remember reading um what is that theologian's name in seminary rudolph Otto. Do you remember that name? I remember the name. I don't know if I Yeah, he wrote about the experience of the holy. Mm -hmm. And he had a particular, it's either a Latin or German phrase, and I can't remember, but he talked about this um, awe, this Mm -hmm. awareness, being overwhelmed by the presence of the holy. And it seems as if we either do things to intentionally shield ourselves mm-hmm. from it, mm-hmm. right? We we settle for substitutes, mm-hmm. or we want it sincerely, but don't know how to get there. Yeah, or we want it to sort of make us feel a certain way, mm-hmm. but not to understand that the holy doesn't work for us, right? Yeah. So we seek a certain kind of emotional catharsis every week. And I, yeah, I mean, I... I think it's just a really interesting thing to sit with, you know, how if we're not intentional, like with an awareness of our frailty and with a humility that we need the Lord to be in this relationship with the Lord, then, you know, embracing that I think is uncomfortable, but actually kind of safeguards us well. But when we, when we don't, um, we just can get into real, we just can really miss it. And I think, you know, the good news is God is a shepherd and so comes to us, but, um, we just really cheat ourselves. And gives us moments when the musician can't make it. And right. Well, and I do think calls you into something, uh, yeah, higher. it is kind of in those moments of like crisis and that, that 
having good theology of, okay, 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 like this feels scary, but okay, what do we really believe about what we're doing and why we're doing it and who God is? So this feels whatever, unfair and devastating and overwhelming, but let me just pause and take a breath and say, there's a truth here that is deeper and bigger than my feelings. And can I be open to the way that what's going to happen might not be comfortable and it might not make me look cool, but it will, if I want to please the Lord, then, then my efforts will please the Lord. It may not please me and definitely might not please my neighbor, but if I sincerely want to please the Lord, then then I then my heart posture does, yeah. and that then that is in my control, and that is helpful in a season when so much is not. In so my much control. is not. So, so what's astonishing you? Well, I just um, I had an experience this morning. Um, I was we so our kids did Matthew go back to school yesterday? What's today? Tuesday. Today's yes, Tuesday. Yes. yes. Okay. So our so our kids didn't go back to school until today because oh. yesterday was the teacher work day. So. Um, and I was getting my youngest, who's a kindergartner, ready. And I, you know, the blessing of having this big gap is my my big girls really help me. I mean, like I sleep in in the mornings and like my sweet little daughter like gets up and makes my youngest's lunch and like helps. They share a room. So like helps her get like, it's amazing. It's amazing. Um, anyway. It's very cool. It's, so, so I sort of entered into the fray this morning and. I was running a little, not terribly behind, but a little bit behind. And um, I was getting a mask um, for my youngest. And I just pulled out like a, she normally just wears a cloth mask, but I, I got out a surgical mask too. And we were literally just walking out the door. And I was like, sweetie, I want you to wear both of these today because there's a new coronavirus. Um, and I just want, you know, I just want to make sure that we are a little extra careful. And she lost it like started crying and because I didn't say there's a new variant because I didn't think she knew what the word variant was. So I said new coronavirus thinking like she'll understand what that is and, and what she understood, which is close enough to the truth to be, you know, is like, Oh, there's a brand new pandemic. And she just, and I, and, and so she just was like crying and like asking me when it was going to be over and saying like, I don't want this. And how could there be a new one? And I just felt like such a jerk for, I mean, we were just walking out the door. Wow. <laughs> and so I'm like, and, and, and so, I mean, it was really interesting because she, and I think in general, like my experience with most of the kids I know is that, you know, they, they do, they're great. Like for like most of the sort of immature behavior that I see around the pandemic is not coming from kids. It's coming from adults. Um, and so kids generally, if you say this is the rule, they say, okay, and they might not keep it perfectly, but they won't, you know, stamp their foot and say, I don't want to do this. Therefore it's not going to be done. And when you tell them like, Hey, there's a sickness that's going around and it might not make you very sick, but it could. And also it will make others sick. So let's, you know, we need to not do some things to keep everybody safe. Like kids would be like, yeah, that seems, mm-hmm. <laughs> that seems right. Um, and, and my kids by and large have had moments, but have just been such troopers about the whole thing. And like, when I say like, I'm sorry, you can't go to that birthday party because it's going to be indoors and coronavirus is still a thing. And I just can't, they, they're not happy and they might be upset, but they, they adjust and they move on. And I, 
I didn't really, my kids have been complaining so little that I think I had been fooled into thinking that they were just really okay. Like, I want this to be over, but I just didn't really realize how much they are, I mean, especially my youngest, because she, you know, she was three and a half when this started. So anyway, I, I just was really, it made me realize how some of the people around us who seem like they're coping really well are, are, and also that doesn't mean that they're not hurting and that they don't need, you know, real intentional tenderness and care um, and just to have an awareness of that. And also, you know, it made me think about, um, and I was writing a little bit about this this morning about, well, Ecclesiastes, right? Like I have always really not loved that chapter three of Ecclesiastes. Well, let's be honest, the whole, the whole thing is not my top 10, but um, you know, I, you turn it into a Beatles song and it's no longer going to be my favorite piece of scripture, but I never really, I mean, okay, to everything is there is a season, but that does not sound like good news until you get into a season like this. And you're like, I mean, I, I hate the brutal reality that there's a season to everyone's life, to my mother's, to my father's, but it's really encouraging in a season like this to realize, you know what, it feels like we will never get out of this and it feels like nothing I do matters and it feels like there's no way that like <laughs> no one is coming, to, Jesus has come to save us, but no one is coming to save us from coronavirus, right? Like we just are going to have to get through it. So then to hear like this will, this season will end is really encouraging and helpful. And to think about, I was thinking about the Stockholm paradox, which we learned about in that transformation, you know, Jim Collins, good to great, like mm -hmm. this guy, James Stockholm, who was captured during the Vietnam War and was imprisoned for like seven years and a lot of it in solitary confinement and tortured and like, like just the whole thing. And he was saying like, the people who had no hope of surviving didn't, but also the people who set their hearts on a certain time frame, like I can, I can do this because we'll be out by Christmas or I can do this, we'll be out by Easter. Like they didn't survive either because when Christmas came and it wasn't over, they, they couldn't go on. And he was saying that you have to know that you are going to get out of this. Like you have to know that or else you can't make the hard, brave choices every day to survive. Mm. But you have to accept that you don't know when and you have to, I mean, he would say like confront the brutal reality of where you are now. So like someday this will be over, but today it's not over. And so what do you need to do today to get you to that someday. And I think just, I don't know, for all of us as a faith community, like we just, we need to be able to acknowledge the weariness of this and that we're not, you know, optimism is not it. And faith in our institutions ain't it either. But hope in the Lord is not about optimism, optimism or faith in our institutions. And to be able to say like, I don't know when, and I don't know how, 
but I know that this season will end. And I believe that if I confront the brutal reality of our reality now and make the best choices that I can, that I will get to this season when this is over. And I want to get to that season. And it's worth, you know, because otherwise I think, you know, the, the, the problem is when you lose hope and you're just like, well, it doesn't matter. So I'm just gonna, you know, throw my mask off and do whatever I want and, you know, hope I get lucky and don't die. And that's, or, or I'm just going to count on the fact that I might contribute to someone else's sickness and death, but I'll never know it. So I don't, so it's fine. And I, and I think, you know, beyond just the simple reality of whether or not we survive, there's just this deeper responsibility that we who follow Jesus and who say to the world, I follow Jesus, the way we live in this season is telling everyone what our values are, regardless of what we think. Like That's we can good. say, you know, the quotes I quote uh, uh, about scripture tell people my values or the t-shirts I wear or the coffee mugs I drink out of or the even sticker on my car yeah, or the charities I donate to or the volunteer work I do, whatever. Like you can say that that's what's communicating your values, but really the way you're walking out this season is communicating your values. And so there's like, I think the base threshold for me of doing what we can to care for our neighbors, but also can we walk through this season with a kind of hope that even though I don't believe the government can save us and I don't believe America is going to pull together and I don't, you know, I understand all the risks about the waning effectiveness of the vaccines and like all of that, but still I am not losing heart because I know that today there is goodness still that I can celebrate and be aware of. And today I have agency and ability to choose to comfort and console, to take my broken and bruised heart to the Lord and have a breakdown if I need to, to do some small good to some people who are really vulnerable right now. And I don't, you know, I don't have the power to end this, but I also have the power to not give up and to not pretend and that it's not still happening and to not be reckless. And so I, I really believe that, I mean, sort of like what we're talking about with your, you know, what happened on Sunday, that if we can just sort of look at the brutal reality of where we are and say like, okay, this sucks. <laughs> and I don't get to do things that I want to do that I feel entitled to do. And I'm going to have to like sort of limp through this without looking cool and feeling great and be really vulnerable in a way that I don't want to be vulnerable. But if, if we can do that as a faith community, I, I think there's real treasure. I, I really believe. Um, and, and I, when I say believe, I don't mean I'm certain. I mean, I believe hmm. <laughs> given what I have Trust. experienced in the past and what I see, what I see revealed to me in scripture, I believe that there's real deep richness and treasure in here, hidden and buried here, not in spite of where we are, but because of where we are. And I just all along, I'm like, well, we're not getting out of this. So I do feel like there's real joy in saying, okay, well, what, 
where where can we draw upon the joy of the Lord and the strength of the Lord to to get out of this everything that the Lord can do in us, right? And make this suffering count for something and to say, okay, I don't, I don't want to go through this season, but I believe that there's spiritual growth that happens really in the hard seasons and I'm in a hard season. So I at least want to get the growth out of it. Right. Like I don't want to, you know, (laughs) if I don't get to go sit on a beach and drink Mai Tais, I've never had a Mai Tai in my life, but if I don't get to do that, then I at least don't want to suffer through all of this and, and come out of it essentially the same or a worse version of who I, of who I was before. And so I, yeah, so that's, well, I began uh, the sermon on Sunday sharing with the congregation. Um, <laughs> I said, I need to engage in some plain talk this morning uh, that in my own soul I've been struggling mm-hmm. um, and struggling with what faithfulness look, looks like in this season. Like how can I continue to be faithful husband and parent and pastor and leader, a big picture, just a faithful disciple of Jesus. Um, And I took that question with me to Atlanta to visit family over the holidays and just sat with that um, the whole time I was there. It's like, I, I, I don't know how I can continue to be faithful because I am tired. I'm one of those people that from the outside, I seem to be doing pretty well, but I am, I'm treading water. Mm-hmm. I know it. And, um, uh, I, I feel an internal yellow light, right? Mm-hmm. I, I need to pay attention to this. So I'm wrestling with this question about faithfulness because it, it seems pretty clear to me that, um, right. The new normal is, navigating what seems like a constant stream of change and challenges, Mm -hmm. right? The musician calls and says, I can't be there on Sunday. Um, And as I was wrestling, um, the Spirit took me to the scripture in Luke 10 about Mary and Martha, and that's Mm -hmm. the text I preached on Sunday. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's it's an odd, it's it's odd (laughs) in, in this season. And just before that story, it's the story of the, uh, it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm-hmm. No, so yeah, and they're paired together yes. so intentionally. And Yeah, and Jesus tells this parable about this man who goes out of his way to minister to someone who is hurting. Right, right? in contra to these other men who are only focused on having a particular experience with God and so they're going to go and essentially not sit at the feet of Jesus, but like enter yes. into the temple and praise and worship, yes. whatever. And so that story is about like, hey, if you see someone bleeding on the side of the road, forget your intention. Go freaking help them. And, and then right after it. Not just a little help, but he goes correct above and beyond. Correct. Right? And so the next story is Jesus traveling with his disciples. He's invited by Martha into her home and she is his disciple. And so she begins to express her devotion in a way that is natural to her. And she goes to work. Yes. Hospitality. Hospitality. Right. Mary 
is also a devoted disciple and begins to express her devotion in a way that is natural to her. She is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening. And the, the Greek words uh, of, of text imply that Martha is, well, it's just too much work for one person because mm -hmm. it's not just Jesus, but all the people with right, Jesus. With and she is overwhelmed. Right. And she says something to Jesus expecting Jesus to agree with her. Tell right. my sister to help me. And Jesus doesn't do that and says, Mary has chosen what is better. Right. And like, I'm trying to hold these two stories together. On the one hand, Jesus says, when there's need, go out of your way <laughs> right. to help. Right. And yet Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus. And so I'm just scratching my head. And what uh, God gave me, for my own wrestling, and I just needed this for my soul um, for 2022, is, is this image of a sponge, right? So a sponge soaks up water, soaks up water, and then it gets squeezed out as it's used. Mm -hmm. If the sponge never enters the water, if it never sits in water, mm -hmm. it dries up and becomes brittle. If the only thing the sponge does is soak up water, it becomes sour. And it just seems to me that sometimes in my life, I do way too much sitting. Like I'm naturally mm -hmm. kind of a merry type and I can sour. But in 2021, because of all of the needs of church and family, I was way in the Martha zone and overwhelmed and right. I became agitated, tired. Um, I was not soaking in the presence of the Lord. I was not sitting at his feet. And what I got from the spirit was that I need, everyone has, everyone is wired a particular way. Right. Some of us are more like Martha. Some of us are more like Mary. It's great. No need to change who you are fundamentally, but you've got to, value of the other and 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 jesus says mary has chosen what is better which means the way you know some of the commentators interpret that it means th that what mary has done in sitting at jesus feet is the priority right. it's where you start right you right. don't stay there right. but you got to go there and so um i was saying to um the good folks at derived church it's just we've got to have to faithfully walk through this season, <laughs> we've got to have this, this, um, this, this motion uh, in our lives. It's kind of a breathing in and an exhale. Yeah. We've got to, yeah. no, that's, we've got to yeah. sit at Jesus' feet, and then we need to be poured out in ministry. We've yep. got to celebrate his presence in worship, but also share good news with our neighborhood. And it has to, it has to be both. And programs are going to change, staff is going to change, things in your life, they're, they're going to continue to change in the season, but what we have is the opportunity, the call to sit in the Lord's presence and receive ministry from him. Right. And to be energized to be agents of ministry. Well, well and what I think is so good about that sponge narrative and I met metaphor that example is I think a lot of us were brought up, not all of us, obviously, but a lot of us who had a certain 
introduction to the church, like maybe or to Jesus through a church. So maybe we were introduced to Jesus through a church that is sort of broadly middle class, right? So we were not, um, we met the Lord in a place where most people understood themselves to be shorthand, like blessed to be a blessing, right? And so like we understood that, like basically God has given you these gifts and given you these talents. And now in gratitude, your job is to go out and bless others with your gifts and your talents, right? And, And that's not, on the surface of it, is not a terrible thing, but it's not true. And if you, and if that's how you think about yourself and your relationship with God, then you don't see yourself as a sponge. You, you see yourself as someone that has a, a, an intrinsic amount of goodness and your job throughout your life is to decide how and when, how much of it to share, but it's yes. yours. Yes. God has entrusted it to yes. you and now you're responsible, right? So it's like we, we, we bastardize the parable of the talents and make that the whole thing. But, but, you know, the thing about Mary and Martha and the sponge that I think is so helpful and coming out of a season where we talk about incarnation, like we had to understand that incarnation is not a theology lesson. Like we don't, we're not saying like, hey, Jesus, like God came into the world as Jesus so that we would know that God is like this, like God is loving and God is close to you and God is near to you. And now, you know, go live accordingly. No, (laughs) this season of, of celebrating the birth of Jesus and celebrating incarnation is to, is to say to us, no, God actually put on flesh and entered into the world and was in personal direct relationship in real space and time. And what we who follow Jesus as Lord and Savior is need to understand is that was not a one and done, right? Mm. Like God continues to have that kind of outrageously intimate relationship with us if we will allow it. And sometimes even when we won't, right? And so what we are don't have is this inert amount of blessings that we dole out at a rate and pace that seems reasonable to us. What we have is a clay jar. What we have is a sponge that we can come into the presence of the Lord and we can be actually filled and actually resourced and actually shaped and changed. And then we can share not what is us, but what is in us, but is not of us. Right. And so you know, it's it's understanding that a sponge has to understand that the whole point of a sponge is just to transport water. Mm-hmm. Like that that is not an inherent property of the sponge. Like the sponge exists to hold the water. So that doesn't make the sponge valueless or worthless, but a dry sponge is is dumb. Right? And and so I think like that's I think what we don't get. I mean, as a person who, as we were saying before, like I don't like to think about theory. I don't like if it's invisible. I don't, you know, I was really drawn initially to the parts of the revelation of Jesus that I could understand, which is like, heck yeah, let's go. Mm. Let's, let's feed, let's heal, let's teach, like, let's just fix the world for Jesus. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of people who, you know, there's people who are way too mystical and like, oh, everyone is suffering. Yeah. But that person's outside tonight. And you got an extra 20 bucks in your pocket. Like, come on. So I, you know, there are folks who just want it all to be metaphysical and mystical and nothing that is physical and temporal matters, which is ridiculous. And you have other folks who are like, no, there's nothing 
supernatural. There's nothing metaphysical. Like everything that we have in scripture is just like a set of values that can give us knowledge that can help us make more faithful decisions. And if we all get our act together, everything will be fine. And then my primary struggle in the world becomes what's the matter with you? you jaggle because if you would just be more like me, we'd all be fine. Or let me get the right person into office because we have all we need. And we, instead of understanding that, like, no, Jesus, I mean, like, I think Nadia Bowles Weber is like, no, the, the Christian faith is, I'm so drawn to it because it is so physical, right? Like you need by the first three chapters, you need like a river and a desert and I mean, like you, you, it is in this world. And so to say like, no, we just get to go and like, sit on a mountaintop and um and who cares about like no like this is a very embodied way of being and this world matters and also we bring the presence of Christ which is catalytic and transformative first in us and then through us to others but it's not me so I, I, I think, I mean, I love that for this season is to be able to say, like, if you're a doer, that's fantastic. But if, but if you don't grow in maturity enough to realize that all of your doing can actually become toxic mm-hmm. if it is not um, shaped and constrained by the boundaries of relationship with Jesus. And energized by, fueled by. Right. I mean, nobody, nobody needs any proxy demigod saviors. And we weren't made to carry yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and the hard truth is that I had to learn that lesson in 2021. Um, I sought to fix too many things. In the life of the church, in my own strength, I tried to be everything. Uh, whenever there was a gap, mm-hmm. I stepped into it. And, um, yeah, I, I hit a wall. Um, yeah, and I just think for me, one of the things that has always been such a gift in this season was having already walked through that long se- season of just vulnerability and brokenness and powerlessness in our transformation journey. And so, you know, it was so painful for those years that the church was just dying and there was no hope. Like we, you know, we were not going to make it. And to choose to get up every day and go like, well, I can quit or I can be as faithful as I can be until I can't anymore. And that's all I can control. And, and, it's stupid, right? Like it's not going to make a difference, but I'm going to do it anyway because it's a better choice than giving up. And, 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 but what was so painful in that season was not just all of the like physical challenges, but it was just like the burden of shame. Like I just felt so ashamed to have to look to like acknowledge to myself and to everyone around me that like, I am not in control. I cannot fix this. What I'm doing has no, no chance of making a difference. And I'm a damn fool for not walking away and finding something more reasonable and, you know, and, and going through that whole season and then looking back. And I I don't think this always happens in the way that it happened at the Grove. Like I think the Grove very much could have closed 
and we could have all been scattered in other places. And I think that the growth and the blessings would have still been ours. It just would have been manifested in a different way. But I, but I mean, I do think like we walked around and we're like, huh, living, being forced to live in the, like, I don't know what we're going to do in three months, but I know what to do today. So I'm going to do what I know to do today. And I'm just, Either God's going to show up or God's not going to show up well, and I'm the, not in control. The meditation I had the congregation do bef- at the beginning of worship, I had already done in my own life. Looking right. back at 2021, it's like God has been astonishingly faithful mm-hmm. every step of the way. And then I looked at how I lived in 2021. I had this conversation with with someone after worship on Sunday. I said, you know, no pastor wants to be listed in the history of the church as the last pastor because yeah, it cl- right. Yep. And I confessed that that was part of my thinking in 2021 and I was working in a way not to be that person and it it nearly killed me. And I'm yeah. like, you know what? I'm I'm over it. That I I'm now in a headspace and heart space that says, I'm just going to be faithful. If there's a step to take, I'm going to take it and leave the results up to God because God has shown God's self over and over again faithful. Right. And that's the only way that you can do, I mean, I think the only way that you can be, participate in the spirit in doing a really new thing is if you're saying like look I can't do this but that doesn't mean it can't be done and I cannot I mean and I think we've talked about this before like we we were I definitely was and I think you were too to the extent of sort of the middle class background like we were raised to think if you work hard and be good Things will work out for you, at least in some realms, right? And at least in the church world. Like, you go to seminary, and they tell you, like, if you work hard, and you don't, like, steal from the church and, like, sleep with your church members, and you're, like, a reasonably talented pastor and not an asshole. At some point, you will get a, quote-unquote, good good church. church. And your church will grow, right? Mm -hmm. And so then when, when you get to a point where you're like, oh, I can be a reasonably good, faithful, not a jerk, sincere, and and I might not ever get a, a good church, and my church might not grow. And you know what? That expectation that I could control how my life worked out, that came to me from the culture. It does not come to me from Scripture. There's plenty of, of examples. And so the majority examples of Scripture is people who got what they didn't deserve, people who were good and faithful and got from a worldly perspective not you know i mean not a good end and i, I think and see you learned that I learned during the transformation right project because well in well from my perspective it's because out of the gate you had a deep kind of philosophical disagreement with with what folks were saying mm-hmm. and I did not so I was like yeah 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 bring it on but I've had to learn that in this season because while I agreed with so much of the what they were teaching during the transformation project philosophically on a practical level I was doing ministry in a way that said that continued to communicate 
I got this. Right. I can be enough. I, if right. I work hard, this will happen. Right. If I work hard enough. And during this pandemic, it's just, it's just been revealed what a lie that is. Yep. And um, yeah, that's just been exposed in my life. Yeah. I mean, and I think like the gift, oh, and I've said this before to you and probably even on the podcast, like the gift for me was, you know, being a woman in ministry, you know, we hit the certain point of certain failure and, and, you know, and you've served congregations where that point hit too. And people would come to you and say, Hey, come be the pastor at our church. Mm-hmm, like you, like mm-hmm. nobody came and said, Hey, Kate, doesn't look so good at Hickory Grove Press. Why don't you come over to like, you know, I did not have the option of leaving. And if somebody had come to me and said, Hey, here's a more respectable and like, less foolish looking place to do ministry. I'm not pretending that my ego and my faith wouldn't have been like, Oh, I'm going there. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I, I mean the gift of where I was and I'm so grateful. And I just, I mean, I just want to own this because I don't want to stand here and look like I was wiser. I mean, I wasn't, I was desperate Mm. and it was my only option. And now I like, I, I could weep Mm. thinking about how grateful I was, I am, that there was this treasure that was right in front of me. And I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful that the Holy Spirit was so generous with me and kept me there. I'm so grateful. Well, studying the text from Luke 10, that place where Jesus responds to Martha and he says her, her name twice, Martha, Martha. Yeah. When I was in Atlanta, that got my attention. And um, I discovered with a little research that throughout the scripture, whenever God says someone's name twice, it's about kindness. It's about intimacy. It's about calling them up to the next level. Right. Moses at the burning bush. God calls Moses, Moses. Um, Samuel, when he was a boy in the temple, called him Samuel, Samuel. Saul on the road to Damascus. Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And one uh, biblical scholar said, if you observe life in general, you'll notice that when you say someone's name in anger, you never say it twice. It's once with a sharp emphasis on the syllables. But if you say someone's name twice, it's hard (laughs) to say it in anger. If you say it twice, there's a, like when I, my son's name is Matthew and I'll, I'll call him Matt Matt, right? That's about our yeah. intimacy and closeness. And I noticed that in, in the text for the first time so cool. that when Martha is at a place of, she's just hit a wall. Yep. She's agitated. She's overwhelmed. Instead of looking at Jesus, she's pointing a finger at her sister. It's those people's fault that I'm not, that yep. this isn't prog- progressing and I'm not doing better. Which is like the posture of the church these days. Absolutely. And a lot of clergy, right? And Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and agitated about many things, right? Just, and it is a beautiful moment, and it is a, it is a call to right. come up higher. But, it, but it's all about that orientation, right? Like what she's trying to do is not bad. Like she's not out there like Absolutely. picking people's right. pockets. Like she's trying to provide for them. She's trying to nourish them. She's trying to make sure that they have this like intimate transformative experience with Jesus, and she's gladly giving her heart. But what she's missing is like – boyfriend can multiply loaves and fishes. Like it's possible that you could calm down 
and this could all work out, right? And I think for people caught in ministry, it's just like walking that line of like, we don't sit under a lemon tree and wait for it to rain lemonade, but we also don't function as though it's all up to us, right? So it's yes. got, you have to be, and like, I don't like that phrase people say, people say Augustine said it, but I can't believe that's true. But like, pray as if it all depended on God and work uh, as if it all depended on you. Yes. Now, don't work as if it all depended on you because that makes you a jerk. And uh, right, like, like, pray well, as though God is good and God is resourcing you and then work. And it will give you the mindset of asking why aren't others working as right. it'll make you a martyr right. in your and own mind. And it'll make you feel like I am doing this to save them so they better X, Y, and Z like yes. I want them to. Right? Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. as opposed to just sort of having this open-handed orientation, which is, I mean, and this was the revelation that saved me on my famous like cry on the rock day of just being like, hey, at the beginning, this all started with a community of believers showing me and telling me who God was in Jesus and me saying, I want to give my life to Jesus. Mm. That's how it started. And so if I'm now at the point where I don't get to be a pastor, that sucks. But I didn't start to become a pastor. Like I started to say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And so my life to Jesus. And so the question for me is, do I still want to give my heart and life to Jesus? Now, if I, I can tell the truth and just be like, nope, if you're not going to let me be a pastor, then bump you. I'm not interested in all that you're doing in the world and in who you are. Right. And, and that could be real. And if that's where you are, like, I, I, I think it great. Like let God meet you in that truth. But, but if what you said at the beginning, like, I didn't want to be a pastor. Are you kidding me? I did not want to be a pastor. So so to say, like, it's possible that there will be a season in my life where I won't be a pastor. And that doesn't mean that God won't be God. And that doesn't mean that I won't, God won't be good to me. And that I don't want to be about what God is doing in the course of, salvation history and so if i if i keep that orientation onto what the main thing is then i can just be like okay if you're calling me out of the hospitality business then like i accept that because the reality is it's just comforting sometimes to remember that i am small and god is not and not that mm. god is like above me or beyond me or uninterested in the smallness of my life but also the fact that I could weep with despair doesn't mean that that's the only true thing that's happening in the world. Doesn't mean doesn't matter, but there is, that's where the hope comes in is like, it's possible that there's things going on that I could never perceive or understand. And that's the whole witness of scripture, right? Like the unexpectedness of God being made flesh. What? Yeah. The unexpectedness of the cross being the beginning and not the end. The unexpectedness of the church coming out of where? Going to who? Like, we have to be a people who recognize that, like, yeah, it looks like the end, and I'm not lying about that, but I also just know the revelation of Scripture and in my own life that God gloriously surprises us a lot. And so I can keep moving because because I that's a reasonable hope for someone who worships the one who was raised from the dead. Mm. And I, I think 
you know, and then there's just a pragmatic, I was talking to a friend the other day, there's just a pragmatic level of like, okay, maybe, maybe it's true. Like maybe every worst case scenario that you think is going to happen actually will happen. Are, like carry your hope in such a way that you're not killing yourself trying to whatever. You're just not going to look back and be like, well, I'm sorry I didn't, I'm sorry I, you know, had some joy and peace in this season, even though it turned out and like, I'm not going to be sorry from that. Like this helps me to see that what is terrible is terrible, but there are other things that are not terrible. And I, I don't want to miss them. Mm. I mean, cause the reality is this is not March of 2020. It's not. And I, you know, we're not where we were then. And I'm grateful for that. I know you got to go pick up your kids. So this is the end. Today's the end. I was going to, I mean, I think so. We got to end up. And we did not get past astonishment. We were. You talked about what you're thinking about. No, I did not. Okay. Well, it's the all, it's another all astonishment edition, which is too bad because I have a good, I'm thinking about, but I'll save it for next week. Oh, what a teaser. (laughs) It will be good. Well, thank you all for listening. We, we're not going to be this mouthy in 2022 for the whole time, but we are glad, grateful no to be together. No one believes that. Well, we're going to stick to this time frame, <laughs> even if we don't get to everything we want to say. Um, this is what happens when we take a week off. Like we have a true a I, reservoir yes. of conversation right. to catch up yeah. on. Um, if you want to know what's going on at the Grove, if you want to check out that um, sermon about Martha and Mary, um, check out, did I say the Grove? Because I meant Derita, D-E-R-I-T-A, Prez, DeritaPrez.org. You can check out their YouTube channel and you can check out the Derita Prez. I can put that sermon on your YouTube channel if you'd like. <laughs> I mean, I'm not mad at that. Um, and um, the the Podbean, it is the Derida Church podcast is on the Podbean website. And if you want to know what is happening at thegrovecharlotte.org, Go to thegrovecharlotte.org, look for our YouTube channel and our um, Grove Church podcast, which is on iTunes or, you know, wherever you get your podcasts. Wherever. Look for the green tree. Thanks for listening, and we will talk to you next week.